Jesus, we thank you so much for your love toward us, God, and how, Lord, you go beyond what we can ever think or imagine. And we just worship you tonight. And we thank you that you're reaching out to us right now, every one of us, as we've been worshiping and we've been before your throne, God, and you're you're there, right there, God, pouring out your love here tonight. And I pray you do that as we come, get into this passage. I pray you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying and an understanding of what it is, God, that you're trying to tell us. But if anything, that we would all understand your deep, deep love for us and how you want us to be with you forever in heaven. And so, God, we give you this time. We ask for your touch and blessings, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I read about a 90-year-old Florida grandmother who is finally retiring her car. Get this, her car. It's not because she's getting a new car, but Rachel Vecht is now legally blind and no longer can drive her beloved car that she actually nicknamed Chariot. The car is this 1964 Mercury Comet Caliente with get this, 576,000 miles on it. (laughs) This retired nurse still has the original bill of sale when she bought the car new in 1964 for $3,289. Can you imagine that? You can't even buy a used car, you know, these days. A, A nice one, right? And that was when gas was 27 cents a gallon. Now, Her four children, nine grandchildren, and 11 great-grandchildren are interested in the car, but Rachel is reluctant to give it to them because she is not sure if they will really take care of it. Because you know what? Rachel is really taking care of her precious car. Rachel has meticulously kept a complete maintenance record neatly contained in a three-inch notebook, which includes every oil change done every 3,000 miles. The car has gone through three sets of shocks, eight mufflers, 18 batteries, survived a rear-end collision, and the amazing thing is that The air conditioning still blows cold, (laughs) the most important part. And she adds to all this, the car has outlasted three marriages. (laughs) How funny, yeah? But we know cars don't last forever. And one day, the 64 Mercury Comet will be laid to rest, as she will be also. Well, in a similar way, some will get more mileage out of their physical bodies And one day we will die. But we understand that every soul will live on. But the question is, what? What then? After death comes, what is it? Where will you be? Well, we know with Jesus, you can be assured your soul will go on into eternity living in heaven. Tonight, as we return to our study in the book of Luke, Jesus brings the Pharisees to really stop and consider the reality of eternity. And that's the title of our message tonight, the reality of eternity. We're going to be studying 
Luke chapter 16 from verse 19 through 31. As I mentioned, we're going to finish this chapter. We last left verse 18 last week, and so we're going to pick it up in verse 19 with the reality of eternity. Now, our outline is this. Number one, the unexpected truth. Number two, the unquenchable thirst. And number three, the unresponsive heart. So this is our outline, and really it's, it's, it's wrapped up into our point tonight. But let's begin with number one in our outline, the unexpected truth. The unexpected truth. Now here, if you're taking notes, we're going to cover verse 19 through 23. 19 through 23. But first of all, let's get into this passage by reading verse 19 through 21. Here in Luke chapter 16 from verse 19 it says there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table moreover even the dogs came and licked his sores now we'll stop here now we begin here Jesus is speaking and he's telling really this story and 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 as we get into this story most of you know what this is about this is about the rich man and the poor man Lazarus it's it's well known if you if you've been into the bible or been a christian for some time so here we come to this very well-known passage and Jesus is telling this and 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 understand as we come into the context of this Jesus has been teaching about you remember the first part of this chapter was of being good stewards of God's money, right? And he, he confronted the Pharisees after that about holding to the wrong set of values, which they are doing. That's what we saw last week. And then remember in verse 14, you could take a look at that there. It says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money, they heard all these things and they ridiculed him. So they weren't really into what Jesus was saying, especially when he came to talk about money. Because they were lovers of money. You remember, they were into money. They, they wrongly thought, they held to the wrong values, thinking that they're, because they're so righteous, which they were wrong about, that God was favoring them and giving them money, which they were wrong about, and that having material goods and wealth was a sign of spiritual superiority, which they were wrong about. So Jesus continues on in context of all this with this story about the rich man and Lazarus, the poor man. So he's reaching out to these Pharisees and he's trying to correct their wrong thinking. And as always, you know, when I read Jesus trying to confront the Pharisees like this, I really see it as God's heart trying to reach out to them even though these guys they're, they're thinking evil thoughts about jesus and about doing evil about jesus so anyway this is this story now about the rich man and lazarus oh and take note some say that this is just another parable here in luke chapter 16 that jesus is going on it's another analogy here but others say this is actually a true story that this is a this account 
of something that has actually happened. And I, I tend to really believe that. I, I, I think this is a true story and Jesus is bringing this account, being God, he knows about this. You know why? Because Jesus never names names in parables. And here we see the name Lazarus given and even Abraham. So we're going to be seeing that uh, Abraham as we get into this story. Okay, so Jesus gives this true story about two men. And first of all, he talks about their life, these two men and their life. First, there's this rich man, Jesus says in verse 19. He was clothed in purple and fine linen. He, he, he wore expensive clothing. That's really what it is. He had the expensive suits and Egyptian cotton or what, no, whatever you know they had. And, and, and so he, he dressed like a rich person. And then he was eating like a wealthy man does, where it says, who feasted sumptuously every day. He was banqueting. He was he, he could eat anything he wanted. Everything was on his table. He ate and ate. He really was just feasting like a wealthy person would. And he lived, notice it says here, he lived and ate like this every day at the, verse of, at the end of verse 19. In other words, on and on he lived like this which means the rich man lived a very lavish lifestyle secondly now the second person of these two men in contrast is Lazarus and so we're told here right outside rich man's front gate and at his gate they're laid like on the ground a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores so we know Lazarus is this poor man he, he he doesn't have any money he's he's very poor he's just laying there in front of this poor man's gate probably a gate to his massive estate that he owned now understand when we see the word Lazarus maybe right away you think of John 11 when Jesus raised Lazarus you know uh, Mary Martha's brother well this is a different person so we find here Lazarus was also not only poor, but he was sick. Yeah, He was covered with sores. Probably that means oozing ulcers. And, and he lay there probably because he was very sick. Some commentators say maybe he could have even been paralyzed and just was lying there suffering. And so Lazarus was also so poor that he had nothing to eat. Verse 21 says he desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the crumbs would have satisfied him. Even food, crumbs that fell on the dirty ground, he would be willing to eat that. He craved that. Desired means he craved it because he was starving. He was so hungry to eat anything and eat even the crumbs from the table. And then look at what it says. Moreover, verse 21, even the dogs came and licked his sores. You know what that means? Lazarus was totally abandoned. He was so abandoned that only stray dogs would come and lick his wounds and care for him. That's the only care he, he got. He was abandoned. So all this means Lazarus lived a life of suffering and pain. How sad. This rich man who had so much and, and more than what he needed neglected Lazarus, this poor man, right there at his gates. 
1 John 3.17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God, God's love abide, abide in him? Remember, or, or I should mention this rich man as we get into the story. Well, we'll come to find out this, this is a Jewish person. And he knows God. And this Lazarus is, is a, a Jewish poor man too at his gates. And yet this rich man didn't give any food to Lazarus. Sadly, I think this was the Pharisee attitude to those, remember, who they deemed bottom of society. They believed that they were sinners. They didn't have the favor of God. They were not righteous like them. And so they neglected them. They didn't think anything of them. And I think in this story, as Jesus brings it out in this account, that, that I think he's relating to what the Pharisees actually did. And you know what? Let's not be like these Pharisees today. Well, take a look at verse 22 and 23. It says here, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. We'll stop there. Now, we've seen these two men and their life. Well, now Jesus continues this account and we see two men and their death. The first one, Lazarus, died. The poor man, when he died, he was, it says here in verse 22, was carried by the angels. So he was escorted by God's angels to where? To Abraham's side. Now, in the old King James Version, it translates as Abraham's bosom. And maybe that's something you're more familiar with, you know, through these years. And it's, it's, this, it's this really place where Abraham is and where this poor man came. And it's this, this holding area. Understand, this is not heaven. For basically, Jesus did not die and rise again from the, from the dead yet. He didn't die on a cross yet. The resurrection hasn't happened. And we're going to get into that in a moment. So here's Lazarus with Abraham uh, at Abraham's side in this place. Well, in contrast, we see the rich man. He also died and was buried, end of verse 22. Buried meaning, you know what, he had a nice funeral. You know, he had a proper funeral and everything. And, and, and um, it's probably in contrast to Lazarus who, who wasn't buried. Because usually the poor, they didn't have the money to have a proper burial or put into a tomb. And they were thrown in the, uh, in the valley of Himan, where actually rubbish was burned. So they just, the poor people, they just throw in the rubbish dump where they, they would burn the rubbish. So Lazarus, this, but, but this poor man was buried uh, properly because he was rich. Well, he was buried, but look where he was when he died. His soul went to, verse 23, Hades. Now the Old Testament word for Hades is Sheol, or this word translated in the New Testament many times is hell. So this is hell now. He's in hell. And you can tell because it says in verse 23, being in torment, right? He was suffering and in pain. 
And I would add, he was probably in total anguish and agony, probably regret, thinking, what am I doing here? Wait, wait, what? You know, and he's probably going through his whole mind. And we'll see that kind of open up a little bit later in this story. Well, he was also a far off. He saw Abraham afar off. That means they're not in the same place, right? Lazarus and Abraham and this rich man, they're not in the same place. They're a distance away. So he's not in the same place as Lazarus and Abraham, but he could see Lazarus, now get this, together with Abraham. He saw Lazarus at Abraham's side. All right, this is this account of two men, their life, and two men, their death, and where they ended up after they died. So what is going on here? If the rich man is in Hades, then doesn't that mean like Lazarus would be in heaven, like with Abraham, right? I mean, what what's going on? They're afar off, you know, there's, they can't, um, he, he sees them a distance away. Is, is Lazarus in heaven? No. Let me explain. Let me, let me say this. First of all, to understand this, number one, before the death and resurrection of Jesus, everyone who died went to Hades. But it had two separate compartments. That is what is being revealed here by Jesus. That's what maybe you learned before. Sometimes it's called Abraham's bosom, or here it's translated Abraham's side. It, it, it can be what Jesus talked about with the thief on the cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. It could have been that, or Jesus could have been us referring to heaven. So one compartment is what we would know as Hades, hell, where the rich man is in torment. But in this other compartment, and I would say like a holding area, is Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. Now, understand this. In the book of Galatians, Paul the Apostle talks about how Abraham had looked forward in faith to the coming of the Messiah to come and save. So Abraham believed in the Messiah or Jesus and he was saved. He believed, and so he was made righteous. Paul talks about that. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, it's, he writes, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So, Abraham is actually considered, and Paul talks about this in Romans and Galatians, is considered the spiritual father of all who believe in the Messiah especially those, Hebrews 11:13 tells us, those who died in faith. Remember the hall of faith? Yeah, in Hebrews 11, all those people who, who live by faith. Live, and, and so these guys who died in faith, they also died in faith, believing in the Messiah to come and would save them. They believed in Jesus. So, Everyone who looked to the Messiah, or we know as Jesus, uh, before Jesus died on the cross and rose again, went to this other compartment. So do you understand that? Abraham, like the spiritual father, that's why he's mentioned here, where Abraham here is, is in this like holding area 
before Jesus died and rose again from the dead, and and before going to heaven, everyone who died before Jesus died and rose again was in this other compartment. So that's why you have Lazarus here, who must have believed in Messiah, and the rich man, who never really gave his faith and believed in the Messiah. The rich man was in Hades, and this other compartment, Lazarus, was with Abraham. So, number one, before the death and resurrection of Jesus, everyone who died went and went everyone who died went to Hades, but it had two separate compartments. Then here's the second thing. Before anyone can go to heaven, Jesus must first die and be resurrected. We understand that, right? Galatians 1 4 says, uh, talking about Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and our Father, right? Jesus had to die and atone for our sins. That way we could be forgiven, we could be made righteous, and we could have heaven. So Jesus first had to die, and he also had to be resurrected. 1 Corinthians 15.20 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So just as Jesus rose from the dead first he was the first fruit he was the first to rise from the dead so then believers now can rise from the dead when we die and live eternally in heaven so that makes sense right before anyone can go to heaven jesus got to die and first be resurrected that's why there's this other compartment another compartment abraham's side or abraham's bosom now here's number three after the cross and the resurrection is believed Jesus went to Hades to bring believers to heaven, right? So, rich man's in Hades, hell, people who who died uh, before Jesus' death and resurrection there and didn't believe in Jesus, they're in hell. But in this holding area, in this other compartment, is Abraham, Lazarus, and everyone else, all the other... Uh, saints in faith like hebrews talked about they were with abraham so then after jesus died on cross made atonement for our sins resurrection from the dead then jesus came to hades to that compartment to where abraham is to where the other guys who were with abraham and brought those believers to heaven being um the uh, first fruits jesus of the resurrected life after that, Jesus went, as Ephesians 4, 8 says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. So he brought those in that compartment up to heaven with him. Peter, in his first sermon after Pentecost, quoted Psalm 16:10, saying in Acts 2, now Acts 2, 27, saying, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Interesting, right? There's that holding area. And then I believe this is why after Jesus rose again from the dead, we see in Matthew 27, 52, that the tombs were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. So it was evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. It was evidence of Jesus dying right uh, paying for all the atonement you know, of all our sins, the penalty of sins and rising again. And then suddenly here's these people, saints, people who believed in a coming Messiah, Jesus, you know, before his death and resurrection, they were raised and showing evidence that, oh, they were taken out of that other compartment in Hades. 
So when Jesus rose again, not only was there an empty tomb, but Abraham's bosom was emptied. So isn't that interesting? Take note, the one, com- the one compartment was emptied, but the other one is still there full and filling. One day, and the day is going to come, when those in Hades, yeah, they will come and what face God in the great white throne judgment that we'll see in Revelation 20 when we get to there in our study. But we've heard of that, right? So they're taken from Hades, from hell, taken out. An interesting thing in verse 13 of Revelation 20 says, Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And then what happens after they're judged? Well, in verse 15 of Revelation 20 says, They were thrown into the lake of fire. You probably heard uh, the, it said that hell wasn't really made for people. It was made for, for Satan, right? And the demons, his, 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 the, those fallen angels. And we'll see the Antichrist and a false prophet too. But that's but people who don't receive Jesus, accept Jesus, they're going to be thrown into that lake of fire. But for now, they're in hell. They're in Hades in torment. So, okay, hopefully this helps you understand this story, this true account, and now understand the impact of what Jesus is saying. The rich man was shocked to see poor Lazarus there with Father Abraham. Now, now let me put this in your mind. Remember the Pharisees, they, they thought they were so high makamaka, right? That, that, oh, we're righteous. We're the holy ones. Oh, the sick, like Lazarus, the poor. Oh, they're the sinners. God doesn't have favor. So in this story, as, as Jesus is telling, the Pharisees would have been shocked too. In their wrong thinking, thinking, wait, wait, we're, we're, we're the righteous ones. We would be with Abraham. Yeah? We're sons of Abraham. Remember um, in other parts of the gospel, they're proud to talk about. Yet they're not with Abraham here. This story, this true account says different. Um, So imagine how they're feeling. Imagine what they're thinking, hearing what Jesus is telling them. So here's what Jesus is showing the Pharisees. The unexpected truth that having money and riches does not guarantee your place in heaven that's the unexpected truth that was put forth here to the pharisees this is that unexpected truth that having money and riches does not guarantee your place in heaven many years ago a newspaper it must have been a a lot of years ago (laughs) talked about newspapers that uh, they held a contest for the best definition of money out of hundreds and hundreds of entries, the winner was picked, and this is what they submitted. Money is a universal provider for everything but happiness and a passport to everywhere but heaven. I like that. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. They're, they were so twisted in their thinking. And to see a rich man in torment, in Hades here, and yet in Abraham's bosom, in Abraham's side, is the poor man. 
that was tweaking their whole theology and doctrine and, and thinking. But Jesus was trying to bring them the truth here, to wake them up to the fact that you're not okay, to wake them up that how you treating the poor guy like 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 you guys treat the poor guy. You gotta watch out here. We don't want to think differently than what God's truth is, right? And we don't want to think like the Pharisees. We don't want to think that having money or all that means, oh yeah, God's God's with me. Sometimes people think, oh yeah, God's blessing me, I'm okay. Yeah. Yet they're living such a sinful life, and they think, well, well, you know, I'm okay. I mean, we think the opposite. Sometimes uh, people have told me, oh, God's favoring you because you don't have problems and I get problems. I, that's, they don't know my life <laughs> if they say that. But, but that's what people think. Oh, God blesses you, so you know, God has favor on you. No, it's, it's not about that. Money, wealth, having things. Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't have any bearing on your spirituality or, or your level in heaven or, or your eternal future. The only thing that matters, we know, is Jesus. Is Jesus. And this is where Jesus is trying to show the Pharisees that's the reality of eternity. All right, let's go to number two, the unquenchable thirst. The unquenchable thirst thirst we've seen the unexpected truth must have shocked the pharisees and now we see really the rich man's unquenchable thirst now we're going to cover verse 24 through 26 here but first verse 24 and he called out father abraham have mercy on me and send lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for i am in anguish in this flame we'll stop there now the rich man, he calls out, right? They're Abraham and Lazarus are distance away. They're far away. Uh, calls out across whatever this gulf or this distance and says, Father Abraham. Now to use the father, he's speaking as a Jew here. He's, he's a father Abraham. I'm a, I'm a Jew. I'm a son. of, of I'm a descendant here. And, and remember the Jewish men were very proud of being one of Abraham's descendants. He's, he's like, hey, Father Abraham, I'm a Jew here. Look, look, look upon, look upon me. Have mercy. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm one of your descendants. Yeah. And then he says, send Lazarus now to give me a, dip his finger in the water. Just give me a drop of, of water, hoping that maybe he would get relief from his anguish, yeah, his suffering and pain. Now. I don't know exactly what's going on here if there was water over there that he saw, you know. There maybe maybe where Abraham and Lazarus were, maybe maybe it was nicer, you know, maybe he maybe he thought, Oh, it must be nice. Maybe there's they have water and everything and I'm so thirst thirsty thirsty. But it's really a picture of how he is being tormented and maybe burning up inside and and, and all. So he's asking Father Abraham, Abraham, you know, to to have Lazarus send him over here. And to me, that's interesting because it seems the rich man still looked at Lazarus as someone lower in class. That maybe he's like a servant, so send him over here or something. I don't know. It could be. But understand something here. There is a conscious awareness of torment 
in hell. Anguish in hell. Suffering in hell. A pain in hell. Some try to explain away hell. Some cults and some groups say, well, you know, there, there really is no hell. When you die, your, your soul goes to sleep until there's time you, you wake up and you're in this heaven. Some say there is no hell for you just cease to exist anymore. But Jesus was pretty straight and descriptive here. And even in Matthew 13:50, he talked about hell and said, Throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13:50. Or Mark 9:43 says, To the unquenchable fire. What's, what's really sad is, you, maybe you've heard people say this, when guys talk about how, oh, no, hell is going to be great. All my friends are there and we'll be partying, partying together. No, it's not going to be what they think about. It'll be more like they'll be in pain together, not a party together. This is the reality of eternity with a person without Jesus. Now look at verse 25 and 26. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. So Abraham responds, and, and he says, child. And I think he says it mercifully. And, and he, it's almost like he's saying, you may be a physical descendant of me, uh, a Jew, but, you know, that's it. You're not a, a real spiritual son. But look, remember, you had good things. He had riches. He, is, he led a very comfortable life. Uh, but Lazarus, he had bad things in his life. He lived in anguish, and now he is comforted. Yeah, The rich man who lived a comfortable life, now, now he's in anguish, and he is very uncomfortable here. And so Lazarus is saying, I mean, uh, Abraham is saying, Lazarus was in anguish, now you're in anguish. And that word means like distress. And on top of that, Abraham says, there's this great chasm. There's this great separation. I don't know what that is. Maybe between the Hades hell part and this other compartment. If it's just dark all around and there's you know there's no bottom to whatever is between the two. The point is there's no way of crossing over. Abraham says it's not like I could send Lazarus over there. Yeah, there's this great chasm. There's there's no way of reaching each other. So the idea in the realm of eternity. No one in hell will ever go to heaven, and no one in heaven will ever go to hell. That, that's really, if you think about this thought here, yeah? So no one in Hades will ever go to this Abraham's side or bosom, and no one in, like Lazarus in Abraham's side will ever go to Hades. So if you think about it logically, no one in hell can ever really go to heaven, and no one in heaven can ever really end up in hell. Which brings up something when I was thinking about this is that 
Our Catholic friends have a doctrine called purgatory. You've probably heard about that. It is a place that a soul goes after death to be cleansed of their sins that had not been totally dealt with or taken care of during when they are living life here on earth. Uh, basically, uh, if a person doesn't fulfill all the seven Catholic seven sacraments, uh, then they will go to purgatory when they die. Their soul goes there to a sort of a punishment place to pay for their sins so that, they, uh, I don't know, at a certain point they can end up going to heaven. But biblically, there is, a, there is not a place like this. Abraham's side bosom, that's not what it is. And, they, and I, I believe in their doctrine, they don't even really look at this. They look at some other scripture, which I was reading, and it didn't really make sense how. But um, the, the main thing is this. There is nothing we can add to Christ's atonement that he made first when he died on the cross for our sins, right? Like sitting in purgatory to pay for uh, you know, the sins you didn't pay for, it means that when Jesus died, then he didn't do enough to cover all our sins. Well, we know biblically when Jesus died, he paid the penalty for all of our sins, right? When One of the last things he said on the cross is, it is finished. What does that mean? He paid everything. He paid the full price of that penalty for our sins. So there's nothing else we can do. That's why we're saved by grace through faith, yeah? Not of works. Nothing we add to it. He, God doesn't say, well, you're saved by faith uh, in what Jesus did in dying on the cross, and, and, and plus you got to do this, this, and this, and then you can go to heaven. Then you can be made righteous enough to be in heaven. No. Christ's blood covers all all our sins and we are forgiven that's why right now if you have christ in your heart if you believe in him then your sins are covered and if for some reason by accident or something and it's your time and you're to die right now you be in heaven you be with jesus we have eternity right now we have that assurance because christ died for all of our sins so do you understand that it's, it's nothing that we, we, we do or there's no purgatory or anything like that. It's not about, oh, well, if I'm in heaven, I make a mistake. They're all, oh, no, I'm destined to hell. Or in hell, I could work my way into heaven. No, understand, no one can cross over. There's that chasm when it was with Abraham and in that little holding area in Hades. But now Jesus took them to heaven and there's even a bigger chasm, if you could say, right? But even with that, there's no crossing over. So, with that in mind, Jesus is trying to tell the Pharisees this. The unquenchable thirst to change your eternal location or your eternal state even, I should say, after death will never happen. So you must make your choice before you die. You see, this is pretty permanent what's going on here. Yeah? Lazarus, Abraham can't send Lazarus to help the rich man. And the rich man can't get over there. There's this big chasm. So this unquenchable thirst that, that the rich man has, 
to, to change his eternal state, to get a drop of water, to make it better, to change his location, so to speak, after death, it'll never happen. It's never going to change. That means you got to make your choice before you die. I read about one man who argued against the Bible and he was declaring, after all that's said about it, I'm 70 years old, 70 years old, and I've never seen a place such as hell. Well, his grandson who was listening in asked him, Grandpa, have you ever been dead yet? It's true. No one has actually seen or been there unless we're dead. But when you're dead, it's too late to make that choice. Without Jesus, you will never uh, 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 see heaven. Without Jesus, um, you, you will see hell when you die. But with Jesus in your life, you will never see hell and you will see heaven. And so understand, this is God's love. This is Jesus putting out this reality of eternity to the Pharisees. And he could have not said this. He could have let the Pharisees just, ah, keep going that way. Ah, forget it. I'm not going to try with you guys. Yeah? But he was trying because of God's love. And he's trying with us today. And if you're listening in online or if you're here today, understand God loves you. And he wants us to stop going down that road toward hell. To, to turn from our sins, to give our life to Jesus, to have him in our lives. That's why John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That your soul will have eternal life with God in heaven. That's why Christ came. The reality of eternity is our soul, everyone's soul will live on forever. But the question is, where? Hades, hell, or heaven with God? And when you have Jesus in your life, then you can know for sure. You know what? 2 Corinthians 5, 8, the second part says, to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And we have this promise from Jesus, from God, eternal life, that, that when we leave this body when it dies and our soul goes on if you have christ you will be present with the lord the old translation says or be at home home in heaven home with god so this is the reality of eternity well let's go to number three the unresponsive heart the unresponsive heart we've seen the unexpected truth the unquenchable thirst and now the unresponsive heart well, the story goes on in verse 27. Um, this is the rest of this section will be the rest of our verses in this chapter. Uh, in verse 27, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They are Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. We'll stop right there. So then he, the rich man, he begs Father, or Abraham, to send him. Who's him? Lazarus. He wants Abraham to send Lazarus 
to go and warn his brothers who are still alive. Why? Why does uh, the rich man want to set, have Abraham send Lazarus, who are brothers still alive? Because they have, uh, they still have a chance to make that choice before they die to avoid this place of torment, Hades, where the rich man is. So the rich man's like, please, Abraham, send Lazarus so they don't end up here and make the same mistake I have and be in Hades too. And so do you see, I, 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 think, I think part of the suffering and anguish and agony and torment that, that will be in hell is, is because of the regret. Because, oh, I didn't make that choice. I could have. I could have. I, I, I could have I, I made that choice. Yeah. And I, I think that's part of his torment. But he, want, he wants Lazarus sent there to tell, warn his five brothers. But Abraham replies. Abraham replies and says in verse 29, They are Moses and the prophets. Let, um, let them hear them. So Abraham is like, you know what? Your brothers, your, your, these Jewish brothers, huh? they know about Moses. They know about the prophets. They have the Old Testament scriptures, basically. The truths of God about salvation, about heaven, about hell, about the Messiah to come. His brothers have the scriptures, which is really, Abraham saying, everything you need to avoid ending up in this place of Hades where the rich man is. What the rich man had, basically, Abraham saying, the brothers have. Yeah, They just need to respond to that. They need to respond in faith to that. Can you see at this point how Jesus is showing the Pharisees their future? Hey, you guys, this is your future. I mean, they, they act like this rich man. They have sumptuous meals. They walk around in their rich clothes and everything. They neglect the poor, thinking they're nothing and all that. The, Jesus is showing the Pharisees their future. Yeah, They think they're sons of Abraham, and that will just get us into heaven because we're Jewish men. And, but it's not true at all. They think they, they have assurances of heaven, but they don't. But Jesus is showing the true sons of Abraham are those who look to the Messiah found where? In the scriptures, in the word of God. So think about this. The, the Pharisees, right? They, they know the scriptures, right? The scribes, who are Pharisees too, they, they're the lawyers. They studied the scriptures. The Pharisees have been schooled in the scriptures. The priests, they've been schooled in the scriptures, yet they did not believe in Jesus. Even with over, we know, 300 prophecies of Christ's first coming. There was three, over 300. They are all fulfilled. And at this time, many, many of those prophecies are being fulfilled right in front of the eyes of the Pharisees. Yet they don't see Jesus. They don't put their faith in Jesus because they never really believed the Scriptures. They only believe what they want to believe. They took it and, remember, twisted it into making it say what they wanted it to say. Right? to support their lifestyle and what they wanted, their lust. That's what we've been learning, that's what we've been learning in this, 
this chapter. So if they re really believed and saw the scriptures for what they what what it is and what the truths are there, the Old Testament, they would see Jesus for who he is. That's what Abraham is saying here. This is what Jesus is portraying here. Hey, they get the scriptures. They they, they have it right there. How to avoid Hades? How to when your soul when you die and your soul goes on, where you end up? It's right there in the word and it all points to Jesus Christ. Verse 30 now. And he said, "No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent." And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So the rich man, he, he responds, that's, and he said in, in verse 30, No, 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 wait, 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 Father Abraham, look, look, uh, um, if someone goes, like if Lazarus goes, and he comes back from the dead, you know what, then they'll repent. Yeah? If, if they see someone risen from the dead, then they'll, they'll repent. They'll believe. They'll, they'll see. Yeah. And, and they'll, they'll get the message here. Interesting. The rich man uses the word repent. And again, I feel like he understands why he's there in Hades. Because he never repented. He, he knows his sin. And I think, again, that's part of the suffering and pain and torment there in Hades. The rich man knows he's there in Hades because he did not deal with his sins when he was alive. So he's trying to get that message. Oh, if you send Lazarus and they see him alive from the dead, then they'll repent too. But Abraham, verse 31, he said to him, Abraham, saying, look, if your brothers don't hear, in other words, if they don't respond in faith, as I've been talking about, to Moses and the prophets, to what's in the scripture, the Old Testament, then they're not going to be convinced. Yeah, Even if someone rises up from the dead. Now this is important to understand that saving faith, the kind of faith that brings salvation where you believe in Jesus and you know, he comes in your heart, you surrender, you believe in him and in who he is, God the Son, come in the flesh, die on the cross and rise again. Saving faith comes by believing the truth of God's word, not by miracles and signs. Understand that. And, and Abraham's just trying to say, look, this, this, is, this is where salvation comes. This is where it makes the difference between being in Hades when you die or being in heaven. That it's saving faith. It's, it's, it's believing God's word. I mean, think about us today. We've, we've never seen Jesus physically, right? We weren't alive. I mean, this was almost 2,000 years ago, right? But we've come to believe through, through the Holy Spirit, the working of God in lives, but mainly through what we have found and read in the truths here, right? And the messages that were taught by from the truths in the Bible, because because uh, hearing right, faith comes by hearing and hearing what the word of God. Paul said in in Romans. So Jesus is trying to open the blind eyes of the Pharisees, that they would believe in the scriptures of what the scriptures, the Old Testament, the prophecies say about Him, that they would believe in Jesus and have faith. You know what Abraham is saying and what Jesus is relaying here is it actually came true. 
I think Jesus is probably showing them their future. Yeah, almost, you know. And and maybe even when it happened, uh, maybe, hopefully, maybe some of the Pharisees jogged their memory and, remember, you know, it jogged their memory. And they're like, oh, this is what Jesus talked about. Maybe some of them did put their faith in Jesus. But, but this is what came true. The Pharisees did not put faith in Jesus, right? Because they didn't believe the scriptures. They twisted it to their own means. Like, like remember, when, when another guy named Lazarus, I mentioned, was raised from the dead in John 11, right? That was a miracle. Many believe when they saw Lazarus come out of the tomb and the Pharisees, you know what their, their response to that? It was like, you are the Messiah. You are the one. They, it wasn't that. You know what they did? They made plans yeah, to kill Lazarus. Because so many people were being drawn to Jesus. And it went along with the plans to kill Jesus as well. John 12.10 tells us this. They didn't believe. There's someone from the dead. Yeah, They didn't believe. But the ultimate witness was when Jesus rose again from the dead. And the tomb was found empty. And what did the religious leaders do? They tried to cover it up. And in Matthew, at the end of the, uh, I think it was Matthew 28, at the end of the book, um, they tried to cover cover it up by saying, oh, someone stole the body. Yeah, Let's spread that rumor. Someone stole the body. They did not want to repent. And they did not repent because they did not believe. So God explains this. This is our last point. The unresponsive heart toward Jesus only shows miracles don't bring repentance. You know what choice does? Really, it's a choice. It's a choice, you guys. And this this is where I'm, I'm bringing it down to, that, that it, we have a choice to believe in the scriptures. We have a choice to to read and look into the truth. We have a choice to not twist the scriptures into what we want it to say, but to look at it plainly and let the Holy Spirit convict our hearts and bring us to the truth of ourselves and bring us to repentance. Miracles, they, they, don't, they, they don't really bring repentance, but the choice to do it does. You know, I've prayed before. Have you ever prayed that? Like, God, do some miracle, the incredible miracle, so that person will will come to faith and be saved. And, and sometimes God answers that prayer, and that person will give their life to Jesus and, and, and be saved. I mean, Jesus did miracles. And, people, you know, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, people, oh, that helped them to believe the truth of Scripture, yeah, and to make that choice and repent and give their life to Jesus. But... Remember, it wasn't the miracle that saved them, but faith in Jesus and believing God's word. The miracle only helped uh, the people to believe God's word. But a miracle doesn't save a person, especially if they're not willing to make the choice to repent. So many have seen miracles, and I believe God has really tried to help them come to believe his word. But like the Pharisees, in Jesus' day, who saw miracle after miracle, Lazarus being resurrected, still did not believe the word of Jesus. They did not 
come to be saved. They chose not to repent. And that's the choice. They did, they chose not to humble themselves before God. So you guys, it comes down to this choice of are we going to take what Jesus says for the truth of how we can be saved? Are we going to look at God's word and choose that this is the truth? And if we choose that, and then we can believe it, then we can choose to repent of our sins, and then we can have eternal life. And when, our, when we die, our soul will go to heaven. You see, I, I say this because, remember this, God does not send anyone to heaven, right? He's actually doing everything he can so that people would, would, would choose heaven, not, not hell. That they, you know, he's doing everything. He's giving the truth. He'll do miracles. But it's the truth of God's word. He'll, 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 he'll try and help you, uh, get your attention sometimes. But in the end, people choose not to believe. And when they choose not to believe, then they choose hell over heaven. And that's what it really comes down to. I'll close with this. During a Senate meeting in the 1920s, um, at that time, President, uh, Vice President Calvin Coolidge, his vice president, so he was presiding over the meeting when, when one angry senator told another senator to go straight to hell. Well, the senator who was offended complained to Vice President Coolidge, and, and, and Coolidge looked up uh, from a book while he was listening to the debate, and he responded. He said, well, Senator, I've been looking through the rule book, and it says, you don't have to go. I like that. Yeah. Just because someone says that, yeah, that uh, you know, it's like, no, it doesn't mean you have to go. Well, we don't have to go. That's the truth, isn't it? We have a choice. You don't have to go. God is giving the opportunity today to choose the future for your tomorrow, today. That is the reality of eternity here, guys. I want everyone to just close their eyes right now. and Anyone here, or um, especially anyone who's listening in or online right now, you know, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. And perhaps what we've been studying here today in this passage is just clicking. It's making all kinds of sense. It's it, All of a sudden, it's so clear to you about the reality of eternity, and you know what you need to do. You can, you, it, 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 it's just opened up your mind, and you know what? I want to tell you that who you know who's doing that not me it's the word of god it's the holy spirit it's jesus reaching out to you so in this moment we have before we close with one last song i'm going to give you an opportunity to receive jesus christ tonight you know what we've been talking about you know how important it is to believe in what the word says to believe in John 3.16 that God loves you and he loved you so much he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you so that if you believe in him, you believe in an atonement he made for your sins, that you can be forgiven, washed clean, and that you can have eternal life, that you can have heaven. Your soul, you will go to heaven when you die.
And so I'm going to give you opportunity right now, but it takes a step of repenting, and that means to turn from your sins. It means to, to change the direction you're going. Turn away from that life and that sin that's been really holding you back. Turn away from unbelief and believe. Turn to God. Turn away from sin. Turn to God. Run to the cross. Go to Him. Humble yourself before Him. Bow down for the cross and give your life to Jesus. And that's what it means to accept Jesus. So, as your eyes are closed, if you want to do this very thing and accept Jesus in your heart, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I'm so sorry for rebelling. I'm so sorry for sinning against you. I want to repent. I want to turn from my sin right now. Forgive me of all my sins. Cleanse me by your blood as I give my life to you. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose again from the dead. I believe you are Lord God. And I surrender my life to you. And at the same time, I accept you into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me a new creation. And save me now. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for rising again from the dead. I love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer, I want to pray for you right now. Lord God, as we close up this message right now, God, I pray for anyone who has prayed this prayer to accept you into their heart, and I pray that you be with them. I pray, God, that they would sense you now, that your spirit would fill them now, that they would feel the burden of all that guilt and, and all that, that regret of sin be lifted off them and that you would free them from the bondage of sin and that you would assure them of their salvation. Give them peace now. Fill them with joy, Lord. And as they move forward in their walk with you, may they get into your word more than ever before. May they tell someone that they uh, accepted you, God. And may you help them walk this life. Thank you, God, for another person, for more people who will be going to heaven. And Lord, I pray for all of us today that we would keep in our minds the reality of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you guys, um, we can all stand. If, if you uh, prayed that prayer, uh, please talk to someone. Give us a little uh, shout or comment if you're on YouTube or Facebook. And 
Uh, we'll get back to you. If you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'd love to sh- send one to you. We'll put it in the mail or, or come church. Come come and visit us here. Um, but I encourage all of you guys to always look to Jesus for he's our Savior. He's the one who could rescue us. And um, no one else, there's no other way. And you know what? Understand, Jesus is our hope. He's our hope. Well, let's worship him.